Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Tiziana Barrow and Gerardo Dada. Tiziana is the founder of Tilaga, a marketing consulting company focused on finding the shortest path to revenue. She has spent the last 20 plus years of her career in the B2B high-tech industry in key positions, and her career has bridged the client and agency sides of the industry, helping to further the marketing goals of businesses ranging in size from startups to global Fortune 100. Passionate about building strategies, innovative campaigns, and the teams that thrive to deliver, she is very much a change agent marketer who finds satisfaction in producing high-quality results. Gerardo has over 20 years of experience in technology, marketing, and has been at the center of the web, mobile, social, and cloud revolutions. He has held senior marketing and strategy positions at SolarWinds, Microsoft, Rackspace, DataCore, Bizarre Voice, and Keeper Security. Today, Geraldo is the CMO at Catchpoint, and he writes on his blog, The Adaptive Marketer. Geraldo, Tiziana, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Thank you, Brandy. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, thank you guys for joining me. Um, I'm really excited about our topic today, but before we dive into that, I always like to break the ice with a woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. Um, so Tiziana, I will start with you. What buzzword would you like to banish forever? I don't know that it's so much of a bash words, but it's definitely something, it's just the way it is. Um, uh -huh. Change agent is like that. It's always for me um, something that triggers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because if you want to drive change the way it is, doesn't really matter. Um, so we got to do something different. And Geraldo, what about you? Well, I would normally pick something like digital transformation, but I think that's kind of the Uber buzzword of the decade. But in this case, to be make it specific about competitive, I will say a kill shit. Ah, uh, <laughs> kill shit. I can't say that I've heard that one. Uh, oh, it, everybody's looking for that silver bullet, right? That is just going to uh, make sure it, it basically kills the competition. Yes. Yeah. And there, you know, there is no magic bullet. Uh, we'd like to think that there is some, you know, some magic pill or secret sauce that we can, you know, implement and do that's just going to make everything perfect. And that just doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> well, now that we've gotten that off our chest, we can dive in to talk about competitive intelligence today. Um, and this topic came up when I was chatting with some other CMOs in that there is, a, you know, there's a difference between competitive intel and competitor obsession. And 
what some marketers are seeing is, you know, some of their C-suite counterparts, especially CEOs and in tech companies, founders, um, and even, you know, heads of sales and other departments seem to have this, this competitor obsession where they are spending more time looking at what the competitors are doing and asking why aren't we doing that. Um, and so, you know, we want to help marketers to be able to speak to what's the right balance. How much should you be involved um, with competitive intel? And so I'm excited to talk to both of you. Um, and as we go into the discussion, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our discussion. So Gerardo, I'll start with you. What would you like the outcome of our conversation to be today? I think the best outcome when you're talking about competitive is customer value. Because if you're clear about your value to customers, then the competition becomes irrelevant, or at least it's positioned in a way that is not going to be your main focus. Your main focus should be your customers, not your competitors. Sorry, yes. How do you bring value to your customers, not how what you do in reaction to your competitors? Okay, value versus reaction. And what about you, Tatiana? Well, I, um, I hope that from this discussion, people are actually inspired to set up a competitive intelligence function because it can really help um, the sales team and coach the sales team in actually getting um, to speak about the market and the landscape and the product in a very intelligent way. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you to dig into that a little bit more and tell me when it comes to competitive intel, what does good look like? <laughs> so, so it's, um, you know, you know I, I've been doing competitive intelligence for about 10 years and definitely it's it's been a market that has evolved over the years. Um, and it, it was that it was just a matter of collecting information from um market research companies, um, right? Um, but, or available information. Well, right now we have like an overflow and overwhelm of information. And so be able to actually gather all of that and make sense of that is really what makes the difference. Um, and then really be able to kind of extrapolate uh, and how that intelligence is really applied either by sales, by marketing, or by product, for lack of better terms, right? Um, and so it, it really needs to span and feed the organization across the board. It's not done in um, silos. Um, and especially like the sales team has an, um, an amazing amount of exposure to competitor information. So be able to have that partnerships where they come back to you um, I mean, I found myself in situations where the sales team will come back to me. It's like our prospect has given us the competitor slides and they want you to tell me how my product is different from. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden I found myself in partnership with, with the sales team. Okay, so what I'm hearing is the key or what good looks like here is one, there is a partnership between the different teams that the information is not only being collected, but that you are able to glean meaningful insight from that. Uh, Gerardo, anything you want to add there in terms of what you feel like good looks like? Yeah, first, I want to agree with Tatiana. Well, th there is a danger of being obsessive about competitors. It can be also rallying 
point just psychologically, right, about beating competitors. It's actually healthy to some extent. Uh, I think it really matters how competitive and how dynamic the market is. Because if you're selling a product that is fairly stable over time, like I don't know if you're consumer product goods, you, you probably don't need to spend too much time on competitive analysis, right? You need to understand what the competitor's doing, what is the general trajectory, how they're perceived by the market, and that's it. In software or other alternatives, it becomes a discipline. So it's not only a thing you do, it becomes sometimes a team. And it, I see, I think about it in three parts. One is how do you collect competitive information? And that needs to be not only about technology, but who are they hiring? Who are they partnering with? What make, what, what are they positioning in the market? What kind of companies are they thinking about buying? What are they saying about us in the market? Then the second part is analyzing that. So what do we do about it? What are those things are actionable and what things we just need to ignore as much as we don't want to want to be having always a response to them. And then the third action is how do you create content and enable the rest of the company, right? So whenever you see competitor X, here's how you respond. And whenever they you, you're in a competitive situation, here are the minefields you need, you need to drop so that they protect you and they establish your value in relative to the competition. Because again, when, when you drive very significant value to your customers, very differentiated value, the competition becomes irrelevant. Like if, if I, you know, my wife loves her iPhone and if we go buy a phone and say like, hey, what about this Sony? Like, no, 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 I want my iPhone. What about this Samsung? And I can tell her anything about the camera or the cost or the app. It doesn't matter. She's already set and she wants an iPhone, right? So Apple has still so much value in the mind of my wife that the competition has become completely relevant, sometimes to the extent that they don't even matter. But that's obviously not the case for all of us. Otherwise, business will be so much easier. No, I really like that. Collect, analyze, and enable. Um, and I think that's a, a good framework for me to dig in with you all more. So let's talk about that collection. Um, because if I think about early in my career, competitive intelligence was usually like a folder on a shared drive where we would archive, you know, like you said, if a prospect shared a competitor's slide deck or, you know, there'd be the downloaded product fact sheets and, and all those sorts of things would get collected and they'd get saved into one place. And that was our competitive intel. Um, and, you know, that was 20-ish years ago. So fast forward, and I do know that there's lots of technology and different things. So give me some best practices if, you know, thinking about listeners who may not have a good uh, process around collecting co competitive intelligence data, like where should they start? What should they be thinking about of how to collect and store and disseminate that information? And I'll let either of you jump in. I'll let Tatiana start. That was the last one to comment. Um, so, yes, um, absolutely correct. I mean, there is like tools at the moment that aggregate data for over 12 different platforms, right? So you've got like, you can actually track a competitor's website. So any updates are actually being tracked. Um, the social channel, the the press and so forth. So you can really determine, and like some of the, the popular are Compite, which actually got put out by SEMrush and you've got Clue. Um, those are the two that I'm really familiar with. Um, but there is market category that is evolving around that data aggregations of what's publicly available out there. Um, and so those tools 
can feed directly into your sales force. Um, and you can kind of, so, so to the sales team on, or the marketing team can actually add that kind of information being served up. Um, you know, there is still need to go through and really determine what that all really means to us, right? It's like, okay, we see a partnership, but it, it's, you know, there is a partnership between competitor A and, co and company B, right? So, um, um, so it's definitely like I, I always want to say meet your end user where wherever they're at. If the the platform of choice is Salesforce, I was going to say, you know, just kind of have the information served up there. Um, you know, you can have internal uh, folders and, and informations. You know, you've got different deliverables in terms of battle cards, um, product comparison matrix, but they don't need to like get all of the, you know, the product team probably want to see the comparison metrics. And so they'll probably access the folder. But for, so different customers have got different needs. And so um, the, the, the repository is definitely um, uh, distributed based on where the customer goes, the internal customers. Okay. And Gerardo, uh, I'd like you to expand on that. Uh, but for those that don't have uh, CI technology in place, what are your thoughts around how they can collect and store this information? Well, I, I would say that you need to start with defining one person that needs to own the competitive information, right? That one central person that collects that. In a software company, that will typically be the leader of product marketing. Uh, in other organizations, it could be a product manager for a product line, for example. Uh, and so that person can organize it in multiple ways and collect all the information and determine what's useful and what is not useful. I would then encourage them to think not only about just collecting data uh, in general, but actually think about what is the right use case or customer profile for each product. Meaning we would love to say like our product is the best. Yeah, but the best for what and for who, right? It's, it's like, if is, is a fork better than a spoon? Well, it depends. Are you gonna eat soup or are you gonna eat pasta, right? Right. And so, and so when you're thinking about competitive intelligence, also when you're talking to customers about it, if you say, look, our product is better because we have these features and the competition doesn't, that doesn't come across like very authentic or very credible. Mm -hmm. However, you say like, look, our product is better than open source for certain companies because for if, you're, if your company has a ton of engineering resources and has a discipline of open source and has these characteristics, then yes, open source can be good for you. On the other hand, companies that want something out of the box and want to have support and want to have immediate integrations, et cetera, they work better with our product. So then you're giving the customer choice do you want X or Y? Like when I was at Rackspace, we would say like, look, do you want support or do you want price? And and sometimes, you know, I was, I remember vividly a conversation with a customer that said like, but wait, there's this other company that gives me a better price. And I said, oh, sorry, if you're looking for a price, just go look at this other company that is actually cheaper than us and cheaper than the company you're looking at. Have fun. Let me know if you want to talk to <laughs> and and the customer said like no no wait that uh, price is not the most important for me like well if you if you really want in that case your website to be up and your things to be reliable then you need to be talking to Rackspace and you need to be willing to spend a little bit extra right so that's how we you put the information in the context of who's the right customer and what is the right use case and that helps collect the information and put everything in that same context so it enriches that and it reinforces and advances your competitive advantage. 
Yeah, and I really like that. And it, it really hits on a point that I see, you know, as a consultant, I'm always helping clients make decisions, whether it's between technologies, between vendors, uh, you know, helping to figure out the right way to go. And, you know, for one person, I always say this could be the exact right solution in this scenario, but the complete wrong solution in another. So I like your soup versus pasta example. And I really like that in using that as the context for collecting competitive intelligence, because I do think about a lot of times is it is just like a head to head feature set. And it's like, well, oh, we don't have this thing. So like we need to get that thing into the product roadmap or, exactly. you know, we do this. So we should just blow the market out. And, you know, one of the things that I think about is um, Bayer is one of the best examples of how someone has pivoted. You know, Bayer could not hold a candle to, to Tylenol, um, you know, as offering up, you know, pain relief. And but then they found that for that small subset of customers who had heart conditions, they were actually better. And so they stopped trying to just compete with Tylenol on all of the standard things and just started focusing on those people with heart conditions. And so I do think that that kind of thing is where you find that balance of you know, where they did kind of go from that obsession of trying to chase the market leader to I've got the right intelligence, I understand the use case. So I really like that as the, the framework for how you're going to collect data is, you know, collect it all, but figure out where it applies and not just have like this repository of all the stuff. And, and that's useful beyond just competitive intelligence, because if you have an aggressive sales team, they'll try to sell a fork to somebody who's trying to eat soup, right? And they'll claim success that they beat the, the, the uh, spoon company. But that only results in pains for everybody and the customer is going to be upset and you're going to get bad reviews and then you're going to have to re refund the money, et cetera. So it's better just to say like, look, we're not the right, the right company for you. Right. Um, awesome. So let's shift a little bit in talking about... Um, analyzing. So, you know, being able to take action on the data. Um, so we've got information. Um, and I know, Tiziana, you had hit on the importance of being able to glean insights from that information. And I want to narrow our discussion a little bit, because I know we talked about sales, marketing products can all use this information differently. Because our audience is head of market or head of marketing, um, I would definitely like to focus in on when we've got good competitive intelligence collected, how can marketing best analyze and glean insights from that information for that function? Um, so I think there is a couple of things that I, I like to highlight because, um, right, so in my case, I have um, established actually the competitive functions within the marketing department. And um, if you're trying to establish a category or if you're playing in an overly um, populated or competitive scenarios, competitive intelligence is, is really key. Um, and it's not key necessarily for um, feature function comparison, but it's really, especially for the marketing department, their go-to-market strategies. You know, how are they going from A to B? 
um, you know, what industry they're going after, what personas are they targeting. It's like, I mean, are we invited at the table in the discussions that, um, you, you know, and, and if not, is it because we are approaching the wrong personas? Is it because we're not um, going, uh, using the right media outlets? Is it because we're not, uh, uh, regulations, associations, you know, so it kind of really helps you to look at how um, the market is approaching the problem. And, and especially when like there is a new market and there is a bunch of startups coming together and they're all coming out of different angles um, to it. It's fundamental for the um for, for the strategy to really kind of know how you are talking about the market. So it kind of goes all the way at the CEO level, at the, at the head of marketing level to be able to define the market and how you're going to go to market. Um, so it really feeds the plan um, and, and it is a full-time job. Um, okay. And Gerardo, what about you? How does, how do you feel like marketing can best, uh, you know, analyze and glean insights from the competitive intelligence information. So I, imagine, I'll give you another analogy. You're, you're shark, and then you have other sharks next to you, your competitors, right? Every move they make could be getting closer to where you're fishing or getting away from where you're fishing and just going straight. Right? So every time you get new pieces of information, you can decide to ignore it. If they're going in a different direction, that's actually a good thing, right? You, you don't need to do anything about it. Uh, you can watch it. If it's like, I don't know, it looks like it's something that is going to happen, it's going to be an indication of a future move, then you need to keep an eye on that. And maybe even do more research about it in some cases. You can be defensive about, well, maybe they're saying this about us. So if you hear that in the market, how do we equip our sellers and our, how do we have messages in the market that defend us against these claims or an educated customer about our point of view? And then the fourth is like acting, right? Like acting could be, we need to develop a feature, we need to change our prices, or sometimes even exiting a market, right? And and that acting is is can be not not only in a defensive way, but how do we do something that's better than them? So like a good story that I love is is you know detergents. You wanted to have the cleanest detergent. So many decades ago, companies were fighting to be the cleanest. And then one marketer said, okay, we're gonna say we're the whitest because the color was a, a kind of a, a way that people experience uh, cleanliness, right? So the whiter your clothes are, the cleaner they look. So they started on that game on who is the whitest. And then another company said like, we're gonna beat them and we're gonna say our, our clothes smell the best. So if you think about, you know, Tide or Downy commercials, they take the clothes and they smell them, right? And you can almost mm -hmm. smell them yourself in front of the TV and they smell clean. So they basically are trying to do the same thing, right? Demonstrate who cleans the most. But, but now they're using different ways of explaining that or communicating that to the customer. They went from just clean to color to smell. And you can do that in, in almost every market, just finding not only a different position, but a different way to make your, your value evident for customers in a way that is very experiential. Yeah, that is a good point because there are certain things. And I mean, detergent is a great example because you know, there, there's, there's only so clean you can get. Um, and so like to a certain degree, it's like competing on clean at a certain point, it's like, eh, this is fine enough. Like it's clean. Um, but when you start competing on smell, 
that is something where people have a real preference. Like I have a strong preference for gain and I can't stand when clothes are washed and tied. I don't like the tied smell. So like there, you know, it's kind of like your wife and the iPhone, like yeah. you know, during the pandemic when everything was out, it was like, oh, I can buy anything but tied. So, it, and, and you know, I don't want to get too deep into my laundry preferences, but um, <laughs> it is a great example of how you can start to set yourself apart because in that case, you could, there are detergents that cater to people who want no smell or, you know, it's like, so those become things where you start to kind of split the market in a way that you can win. Um, so I, I like the the thought of like an ignore being one of the options, because I think that's sometimes something we don't think about. And I think that's how we lean into obsession, you know, into the obsession territory is not recognizing that sometimes you should that's just true. ignore it. Like, eh, like that's great for them. Doesn't have anything to do with me. If yeah. I can add something else to the to the your comment about the hygiene, hygiene, it gives us full circle to the use cases and the customers because it's critical as a marketer you understand what are the buying factors for each one of your customers and what are the attributes of your product and those of the competition. And when you look at that, there's there's a categorization. There's like there's factors that are hygienic factors and it's like the hygiene in a hotel nobody you know you go to a hotel and the, how was it your stay nobody says like it was super clean right like once you reach a certain level that need is satisfied and going beyond that is not going to move the needle there are other factors that create preference and there are other factors that have different values in different markets like if you're talking about car, car prices and for some markets some buyers care about price and that might be the most important factor for some it's irrelevant and for some it's, it's just a secondary factor sorry tatiana i'll let you no no that's, that's okay what i wanted to add is you know um i, I think when there is competitive obsessions it actually you know i used to call them chicken little chicken little calls right the sky has fallen the sky has fallen and and it really actually what i have found in my experience is that oftentimes the salespeople don't have the confidence that that we have that view of the market landscape um and so as marketer i feel that we have a responsibility to convey that and i'll give you the example of the gps right so the gps really gives us that intelligence of how to get from point a to point b in the most efficient way i mean you can go side street you can go highways you know there is uh, tall roads and, and so forth it actually really just kind of gives you um an overall so i don't always want to discount them because it probably if they are seeing, you know, and, and your your sales force or your CRM should really be, are you consistently losing against this competitor? And what are the factors that you are losing over time? You know, um, and so, you know, I, I hear you that there is this customer obsessions, but I also invite as we continue to partner marketing and sales as to functions that in the past have really not collaborated very easily, you know, that, that there is a understanding of what the obsession is about and if it's a valid obsession. 
Um, and then the, the last sort of uh, the point three that you had given Gerardo was around content enablement um, a, as your third step. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, I think I think uh, Tatiana hit the nail on the head that you you want people to be informed and confident. So the salespeople and everybody talking like field facing or customer facing teams need to have enough information depending on how competitive their market is and how often they, they compete or lose against competitors. So they have all the information they need to be effective. And the key is that they need to have all the information, but not necessarily more, because sometimes competitive intelligence, I've seen it where it's just a dump, right? Like, hey, here's like 50 documents of our competitors. Nobody in sales has time to do that. The, the information needs to be succinct and crisp and something they can understand and communicate clearly, ideally put in context of their overall value proposition. So how you do that enablement and how you give people that confidence is, is critical. But it also means that it needs to be a priority for sales, right? Sales needs to establish that priority. And, and especially with sales, it needs to be very clear what is what is important, what is a must do, and what is just information that is optional. So the team needs to become disciplined about consuming and being trained in competitive information. That needs to be part of the sales enablement training all the time. And also the, any certification or testing or whatever you have to make sure that your sales is equipped to be ready to face customers. Awesome. And so my last question I want to uh, have both of you answer because it is something that has come up multiple times. Um, and I'll start with you, Tatiana, is when you are dealing with a CEO or a founder who is a bit competitor obsessed, as the head of marketing, what advice do you have for them in being able to address that and keep them focused where their attention should be? In order to influence anyone, you need to be able to hear them out. So, you know, being able to have them really uncover, because oftentimes it's not direct. They're, they're saying to you, it's like, oh, I'm com we're com constantly losing against, you know, company um, company A. But so so really uncover strategically what it, what is the CEO frustration or pain point? Um, and and then uh, really um, kind of address them. Um, so making them feel heard, making sure that you are um, addressing them and telling them how you're addressing them in your go-to-market and what you're going to change, if any at all. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing uh, testing A to B. Um, so, so it's just really kind of giving them the confidence that you've heard them and that you're going to be addressing them in some way, shape or form, um, I think is going to enable you to strengthen that relationship because in those situations where the individual is not going to feel heard or it's not going to feel that, you know, you don't address what they're bringing to the table, it just kind of actually um, hurts the relationship over time. So it's... So hear them out is your uh, is your advice. Seek to understand them. What about you, Gerardo? Yeah, I think uh, she's Tatiana is right that listening and make sure they feel listened to is very important. That's something every man needs to learn. The longer you've been married, the more you learn that skill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I mean is that you don't always need to ask. Sometimes they're just venting, right? About hey, our competitors are doing this, and you need to acknowledge that and recognize it. But when they're saying like, "What are we gonna do about it?" Then there's a couple things you can do. One is 
A, you can put it in context of other priorities. Like, okay, we can do this, but that means we're going to need to drop B or C. Are you okay with that? And then the CEO normally will say, like, no, you're right. We should continue doing what we're doing. Second option is like, okay, we try to copy them, but are we going to be better or are we going to be looking bad as a bad follower? Right? And that, that's most often the, 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 the result of sometimes when you're trying to copy your, your competitors. And the third option, which is sometimes the most effective, is to think, okay, they're doing this to achieve X. Here's something we can do, offering an alternative. Here's something we can do that is actually better, better for our customer targets, better for our strategy, for our resources, that will achieve the same or sometimes something better, just in a different approach, right? Because if we, the goal is to achieve something, not just to copy your competitors, but to get to that fish before that other sharks get to that. Awesome. Well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. Um, so in traditional therapy, the therapist will give the client some homework. But here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So I always like to walk away with an action item. Uh, so I'd like for each of you to give us that one thing, something that our listeners can do relatively easily to help move in the right direction of striking a balance between customer intelligence and customer obsession. Uh, so Gerardo, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, I don't know if that's easy, but it sounds simple. It's make sure you know clearly who is your customer and what's important for them. Like that's the foundation of strategy, not only of competitive, not only of marketing, but it's the foundation of strategy. Be super clear about who's your customer and therefore who's not and what's important for them and what's not. Awesome, Tiziana. Yeah, um, for me, it really comes down to one word and that is be curious. Um, it's, you know, when you are curious about what's the pain point and how, uh, you know, are you feeling the pain and how, what's the impact? You know, once you're able to really uncover what it's at the source and like, what Gerardo was saying, evaluate all of your options in order to kind of make up for that pain point or address that pain point. So be curious and ask lots of questions and um, have fun. Awesome. Um, and for those listening, I know I talked in episode 19 with Christina about voice of customer as one way to really understand your customers. So after you finish this episode, scroll back a few and go to episode 19. Um, well, I have so enjoyed our discussion for today, um, but that's our time. And before we go, tell our audience how they can connect with you. So Gerardo, tell us about your blog. Yeah, it's theadaptivemarketer.com. Uh, I haven't written a, a bit, but you should expect more articles to come out. I'm also somewhat active on Twitter as well, at Gerardo Dava. Perfect. Yes. Well, we will put those links in the show notes. And yeah. Tatiana, what about you? Yes, I I actually am I live on LinkedIn pretty much. It's uh, it's very easy to get me on uh, um, on Messenger there and uh, and or on LinkedIn and on my website. Um, yeah. Awesome. So we will make sure to put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I hope that everyone has enjoyed my conversation with Gerardo and Tiziana. I can't believe that we're already at the end. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. 
Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.